You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It's Wednesday, June 17, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by Tom Thornton, CEO and founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. But first, Peter Cooper with a look at markets. Thanks, Ash. Companies are substituting their 2020 earnings with their profits from last year in order to remain in compliance with their loan covenants. They're calling it EBITDAC or earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and coronavirus. Live Nation Entertainment announced it will use its 2019 earnings figures to calculate its net leverage covenant for the fourth quarter of 2020 until the second quarter of 2021. These covenants are common in business loans, and if broken, can force immediate repayment, or in extreme cases, trigger restructurings. UK pub chain Punch Taverns asked its bondholders if they could use 2019's EBITDA to factor into its leverage covenant until they can reopen their bars. It's unclear when that will be. The luggage manufacturer Samsonite is going even further. They plan on asking their borrowers if they can use their 2019 EBITDA data until as late as March 2022. So borrowers are basically asking lenders to pretend that coronavirus didn't happen. It's a sign of the brave new world that we're in. Now you may be wondering, why are lenders going along with it? And certainly a few are grumbling, but what choice do they have? Trigger a bankruptcy and left holding the bag? Do they really want to hold on to pubs and suitcases? What do you think the demand is for suitcases in this climate? Meanwhile, the US bond market is showing no signs of slowing. The amount of investment grade issuance for 2020 has almost reached the total amount issued in all of 2019. In fact, it could exceed that bogey by the end of the week. According to Refinitiv, companies have raised just $27 billion less than all of 2019. And some analysts are predicting that that number will be surpassed this coming week. These companies are now flush with large cash reserves and are still taking advantage of cheap borrowing costs. Instead of shoring up their balance sheets, companies are packing on leverage. This can very well bode ill in light of what's happening with the virus and trigger that insolvency phase for this doom loop. Six days ago, there was a new cluster of infections that emerged in Beijing. Now there are 168 new infections as a result. In order to reduce the risk of its spread, Chinese officials have canceled 46.1% of scheduled flights in and out of Beijing, as well as closed schools and other businesses, such as indoor entertainment, sports venues, some bars, restaurants, and nightclubs as well. On Wednesday, Peng Jingo, the deputy director of the Beijing Center for Disease Prevention and Control, said, quote, The risk of the outbreak spreading is huge, and controlling the disease is difficult, end quote. Four other provinces nearby, Huebei, Liaoning, Sichuan, and Zhejiang, have also reported new cases linked to this new infection originated in Beijing. In the U.S., Dr. Anthony Fauci urged states who are experiencing an acceleration in cases and hospitalizations, such as Arizona, Texas, Florida, and North Carolina, to tackle the increasing cases so as to prevent, quote, a real surge, end quote. And yes, in part, the increase in cases is due to an increase in testing. However, an increase in hospitalizations is due to more and more people becoming severely ill. And this is directly linked to the nation reopening. However, we will soon get data to see how and if protests are impacting the surge. 
With the spread happening so rapidly in places like China and the US, coronavirus still poses a fat tail risk to investors. Markets have rallied continuously on robust results from our economic indicators. But this succession of strong economic data may not last. And markets don't appear to have priced in for that yet. The US in particular has not exercised the means necessary to control the spread. And many states and people are paying the price. If new restrictions are enacted to limit the movement and flatten the curve, businesses will continue to suffer, especially for highly leveraged ones. And the psychological damage to consumers will be more enduring. The impact will be more severe if government officials continue to stall, waiting to see what happens and react with more fiscal stimulus after the fact. And with that, I'll hand it back to you, Ash. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Peter. EBITDAC, what a time to be alive. Tommy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tommy, we had a long chat uh, yesterday on the phone. What are your big picture takeaways from this market? Uh, where do we start? Uh, it's been quite a year. Uh, started the year off um, very bearish, and market uh, did not have the support to hold up, um, and it, it got murdered with uh, the pandemic. And I think it exposed a lot of issues outside of um, the with the market structure as far as credit and uh, the fragility of the markets. So we really saw a big move down. Uh, March, uh, bearish sentiment was so, so heavy. Uh, people were so nervous. Uh, but with all the Fed and the stimulus that came in, it really bounced back hard. Uh, we caught that well, but unfortunately, we bailed out uh, a little too early, like many people. And I, I cannot believe where the, the markets are right now. It's just, uh, it's crazy. So right now, uh, we're sort of the mid-year. I think we're probably going to see a top of some sort. You have um, things that are coming up in the second half of the year that I think are going to be rather precarious uh, for the markets, uh, some big catalysts. Let's hit that in a second. You said something that I thought was really interesting right out of the gate, which was exposed the fragility that, that existed in this market. Talk to me about a little bit what was happening before the COVID crisis and what left us so vulnerable potentially uh, to what followed? It really started in September when the repo madness started with uh, the Fed injecting, you know, $100 billion or more on every day uh, into the markets. And I think that there was some liquidity problems that were happening really early on. And the, the market sort of accepted it. They they believed it. And then I think that when uh, this this happened, I, I think the, the dam broke. And I, I if the market was in really good shape going into this pandemic, the market would have survived it without the uh, trillions of dollars of Fed stimulus. So I think that right now the Fed is really nervous because you still are hearing different things every day. We heard yesterday about, you know, more corporate bond buying. And that was sort of expected, but they raised it and they offered it to more different bonds. So I think the Fed is cer certainly nervous about what's happening. And I, I actually think that they're, they're blowing up a bubble that's going to be worse than what happened earlier this year. 
Yeah, you know, that's such an interesting point. It seems as though the liquidity problems in the repo market have just been memory hold. We don't hear about them any longer. This was the big story of uh, September or so of 2019. Uh, and precisely the point you make, it sets the stage for the 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 um, instability or the underlying weakness of these markets. Uh, and now we have this massive wave of stimulus in the form of central bank monetary policy, uh, as well as fiscal policy. And you have to try and sort out and weigh uh, what the relative impact of all of these things are and sort where that ultimately leads us. Well, the, the thing is that is really concerning is that the, the Fed is now the lender of only resort. They're the only lender right now. And the other thing that was really concerning to me is when we went into this, we had the highest uh, deficit going into a potential recession ever. I mean, normally the deficit is lower when we start entering a recession. So this is um, a really bad mix because the the government deficit is going to be just absolutely massive, and there's they're borrowing so much money right now. The the treasury issuance is going to be just unbelievable this year. And they're talking about you know well they did you know different bond maturities. People are talking about doing a fifty year bond. That'll probably happen. Yeah. How much do you worry about that? It's such a good point. When you look at it, how how apprehensive does that make you? I don't really worry about it that much. Um, I worry about what I can control. And if that happens, that happens, and we'll adjust uh, our portfolios to how uh, it, it turns out. I, I think that there is a real risk in the second half of the year uh, with the Fed basically all in right now. I, I've said all in a couple times. Um, but I don't think that they're going to be that active uh, with new stimulus programs if the market gets weak into the fall because we have an election and the Fed historically has been on hold or they say they're, they want to be on hold just not to affect the um, election outcome. Right. But what does on hold mean? Does on hold mean to continue to increase the level of monetary policy stimulus or does on hold mean to roll off? I mean, these are the questions that we wind up asking ourselves. I don't think they're rolling off anything. I just don't think that they're going to be adding more stimulus into this into this market. I, I, I they have a ton in this market right now. Things that they've announced still haven't even been uh, put into into play yet. So there's still a lot that they can do. Uh, it gets to a point though where it, it makes me very nervous that they've done so much and they didn't come into this uh, pandemic crisis with traditional monetary tools. They they already were blowing up. Uh, what they they tapered uh, with the repo, and, and that was a you know sort of a mess. And then they they were they're doing they're adding trillions more. So I I'm just I, I'm concerned about that. But the other thing that I'm I'm talking to a lot of my clients about, specifically within stocks, is in Q1 earnings in April. Uh, it was a guidance withheld free pass, and every company withheld guidance. And for right measure, they did. But I think when we we get into Q2 earnings in the next month, we're going to start to see how companies are positioned and how bad was it. I mean, I'm looking at companies like Apple, Microsoft, and look at Apple. They, they, their stores were closed for months and their stocks, you know, well over an all-time high now. I just feel it's way ahead of itself. They've got lots of inventory of phones that they couldn't sell. 
and they have a huge new rollout of phones coming in the fall. So I, it's to me, I just think that that's well overdone. Great company, but I just think that that people have uh, priced in not the recovery, but beyond the recovery on on many stocks. Yeah. And you also mentioned uh, and had an interesting thesis on Starbucks as well. Yeah, Starbucks was really one of the first ones in the last couple of weeks to come out and say, here's where we are. And it was pretty deep, the cuts. And I, I looked at it and I said, wow, this is, you know, this is not good. The, the stock sold off, I think, probably around 8%. It's probably bounced back over the last couple of days with the market. But still, I think that we're going to have to reset earnings expectations uh, going into the next uh, six months. I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. Third quarter, uh, a lot of the hopes for recovery uh, are going to be there. That, that companies are going to have to really perform. So I, I, I think that the market is ahead of itself. It's expensive historically at twenty one times earnings. If you believe whatever the S and P estimate is for right now, I, it's hard to tell. But I think that it's the market's expensive. Uh, people are pricing in beyond the recovery right now. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you blinked, you missed the taper. Uh, and um, so, you know, now now we find ourselves. And I, I think I in my view, I think you're right. I doubt that we're going to see any withdrawal. We have new liquidity facilities, new extensions uh, of existing liquidity facilities with the uh, corporate individual corporate credits coming on uh, this week. What are your thoughts on that? It's just more. It's just more and more and more. And you know they're going to keep adding and adding new instruments, um, especially anything that's been illiquid. I I, I talked to some bond uh, uh, traders and they said, look, it, it's it was sort of expected by them because that was a very illiquid market. I didn't know that uh, how how things were trading, but they can't buy anything right now because it's just it's it's very bid right now with with those announcements. We've also seen a fair amount of speculation in U.S. equity markets, the so-called Robin Hood trade. What are your thoughts on that? It's uh, it's animal spirits, and you see these traders that are chasing stocks that some of them are bankrupt or near bankruptcy or have absolutely no basis for going up the way they have. And it, it reminds me of the dot-com bubble because that we used to see, you know, books a million came out. Which was a retailer and said, "Oh, we're going to have an, a website," and the stock went up, you know, three hundred percent in a day. And if you caught them, you you made money, and that's the lure of of all these. But it ends rather abruptly and can be rather abruptly sad for for many people. I there was a story going around that's just a, absolutely tragic. That there was a kid that was twenty years old that uh, committed suicide. He had some exotic. Uh, option spread that uh, he had a sixteen thousand dollar Robinhood account, and he ended up with a seven hundred and thirty thousand dollar debit after option expiration. And I, I just find it just repulsive that the brokerage firm did not have risk management tools to prevent something like that from happening. It's just it's horrible. It's a terrible thought. Um, I I read on the internet. The, the, I think it's the uncle of the kid read a suicide note. You know, he didn't know what he was doing. He felt horrible about being in this hole. So there's there's upside and downside uh, dangers to trading, as we know. But when it becomes this speculative bubble, 
It's very similar to Bitcoin, what we saw several years ago. I mean, everybody was buying it. How much do you have? Uh, when did you buy it? It's the same thing. And you have, you know, day trader Dave, who I have happened to tweet with uh, last night, which was kind of amusing. Um, you know, Dave, he, Dave Portnoy from uh, Barstool Sports. Yeah, who I, I like him. I, I do. And I really think that he has the this broad appeal to so many people that he could do really good things with what he has right now. Unfortunately, I think he just sort of is one of these guys that he speculates aggressively. I watched him today and he's buying stocks because he likes the symbol and it's 18 cent stock. And I was like, you know, you could, you could harness this and have a business here that really could be worth something great, but that's not the right way to do it. And maybe I'm a suit. I don't. I don't wear a suit, but he called me a suit. Um, and I had all sorts of. I mean, the vitriol was just off the charts. And I, I've I've had Elon Musk, you know, conversations with him on Twitter, which have been, you know, even worse. But um, with the people, and you know, no, I don't. I have thick skin. I can handle it. And but it, it really, I think, is um, when you see pigs fly. I think it's getting to a point where the market is is percolating a little too hot. There used to be a pink sheet. Uh, index, which pink sheets are the OTC, you know, penny stock uh, markets. And those used to, when those started flying, uh, you knew that those, um, it was getting towards the end. And I, I really think that right now the market is, is way ahead of itself. We have a big option expiration coming this Friday, and it's one of the largest ever uh, with S&P uh, equities, uh, or actually SPY. Uh, S&P futures and uh, spy cash options. It's huge. And um, it's like 2.8 trillion in the S&P cash index. That's uh, similar to December of 18 and March of 20. But the other thing that's going to happen is the gamma that's going to roll off here might slow some of the bid that we've had in this market. We've had just tons of call buying as well. You've seen these put call ratios that are just plummeting and the amount that like Jason from sentiment trader has put out with, you know, the amount of calls versus puts is just mind boggling. It's four times, I think what it was in February at the high. So when that rolls off, there's a lot of losses that are going to happen with people. And then we have a huge pension rebalance at the end of the month. I think 76 billion in equities to sell Goldman said today, that's huge. So I think we're getting to a place where there's going to be supply hitting the market and we're coming into earnings, so we have to, you know, it's priced to perfection right now. And what do you think that portends for the price action when those events hit? You know, the, the as far as with op, the options market uh, with expiration, I think we could soften up over the next few days and maybe a, a down day on Monday. Uh, with the pension, I think it's going to be brought, you know, well broadcast, and people will know this. But I also thought in March when I knew that there was going to be a huge equity buy in March because bonds outperformed in the first quarter massively, I, I think the S&Ps went up like 200 handles in a day at right, the very last second. So it could be totally crazy on Friday. So, I, you know, it, I'd be careful um, if you're... If you're uh, you know, sold uh, if your your short calls or puts, it could it could go against you pretty hard. 
So must see TV three to 4 PM this Friday. Uh, yeah, it may be like 350 to or 359 to 402. It could be just you know crazy. So I yeah, it could be it could be very very wild. Um, I you know we'll see. It's I think there's just a lot of speculation in this market right now. It's got to cool off, and when it does, you know we could see I think 2800 on the S and P, maybe lower if things really start to get nervous. But that's kind of my target right now. It seems pretty simple. If you look, it's got a lot of support there. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, you, you hear these absolutely heart-rending stories. Uh, and, and I know we've been on camera together. Uh, we've been, this is our first time, I should say, on camera together. But we've talked and we've done some other interviews in the past. And one of the things that I, you're an incredibly, um, I think, eloquent advocate for is the importance of risk management and position sizing. You know, if you look at the... 99.9% of all the blowups that have ever happened in the market for the richest people and the poorest people have always been bad sizing and leverage uh, combined or you know one or the other or both and when it when it's going in the right direction for you it's it can be the best trade in the entire world but the chances of it when it goes against you you get much more nervous uh, and you tend to take losses uh, when it goes against you and it, your margin of error is, is, is terrible so I for me, I I never have a position that's more than five percent of my portfolio. I tend to start positions at two and a half percent in size, and if I'm down ten uh, percent in a five percent position, it's it's less than a percent. It's not going to kill my month or my year or make me, you know, lose sleep. Yeah. And the other thing from a risk management perspective is it's not just about sizing. It's about making sure that those positions aren't highly correlated. Uh, because if you have, you know, 20 trades on that are effectively identical in terms of the, in terms of their, uh, relative, uh, you know, movement to the, to the index, you're not really diversifying anything. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've seen that are long Apple and short the queues and, uh, they think they're hedged and it's just, it's, it's a push. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Um, I've always laughed at people when they, you know, they're trying to, you know, short um, the Nasdaq. Um, it's the worst hedge in the entire world because it's generally the strongest index out there. I like to hedge with IWM, Russell, uh, or SPX. Yeah, interesting today. I I don't think we actually have done the uh, the closing figures, but you know, markets basically flat. The one exception to this being uh, the Russell sold off twenty five points, one point seven seven percent down to the fourteen twenty six level. Yeah, it's you had um, you know, there's been this like hopeful rotation uh, from growth to value, and we had a couple weeks ago this like financials and industrials and. Uh, uh, energy were leading, and you had some of the large mega cap tech names not really going up. They didn't really go down much, but the the point is that they were outperforming. The value was outperforming. It's totally completely flip flopped again, and uh, you know people will say stop trying to bet on that. But the Russell has a lot of value in there. Uh, I think I mean value uh, sectors and weights, and that a lot of regional banks and energy and. Yeah, I mean, energy's been on the top of my screen, and you know, it's down four and a half percent today. So, it, it's that's where we lost it in the uh, 
and the Russell today. And, and like, I, I like energy. I like financials and I want to buy those on dips and I'm still waiting uh, for a little deeper move and I want to buy them. I think that there's, I like financials probably the best out of all of them. And why is that? With the Fed putting so much money into the market right now, uh, that will drip down into the, the larger banks. Uh, the regional banks still have a lot of hair on them. Uh, don't know what the credit is going to look like over the next maybe quarter or two. It, it, it's still up in the air, but there's still value there. And a lot of money's been pumped into the system and banks are going to be the ones that receive it. Do you worry about declining uh, profitability on lower net interest margins and the potential for um, reserves to swell at large banks? I'm not a specialist in that area, but I do have a a person who as a client who is a finance or financials uh, trader, and he thinks the reserves were, they over-reserved in April. And he thinks that that's going to be something that uh, is going to be a lot better off than uh, than people think, and and that also is in the bullish uh, thesis. So if the right. credit losses aren't as bad, these stocks are going to rip. Yeah, it also suggests the possibility, potentially at least, uh, for additional lending at the margin. Yeah, the the housing demand is really really strong. I saw the uh, what is it the applications, the mortgage applications was ripping big. I think it was today, uh, ripping big. That sounds like a Trump thing to say. Tremendous. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it was a huge number. And so people are trying to move and look, I live in Greenwich, Connecticut. I hear a lot of people are trying to move here. Um, the houses in back country that nobody could sell or give away, uh, are suddenly being rented or, or sold. So there's, um, a, a demographic move outside of the cities um, that I think I think is going to happen, uh, especially in the Northeast. So if I leave the Upper East Side and come to Greenwich, can I rent furnished with the terminal? Yeah, just come on right here. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday's uh, retail sales number up month over month, down substantially year over year. What are your thoughts in that space? Well, the market loved seeing the better than expected numbers. And, and they were good. There's no doubt about it. But if you look at it month over month, you see this like above, you know, trend. But that is a really bad picture because you got to look year over year and we still have a lot left to go. Again, the market in some sectors has priced in a full recovery and then some. And there's a lot of others that that still are really suffering. And I think retail is is going to have a tough time getting people back into the stores. They're still, I mean, how many people are still unemployed? You still see that the jobless claims, um, continuing claims numbers are still really high. Uh, the unemployment rate is, you know, it's, it's historic levels. Uh, people are getting paid by the government, which is a good thing. That puts money in people's pockets. Some people are getting paid more than they were uh, when they had jobs. So that's kind of unique. Uh, But I also think that uh, this reopening is going to be difficult for not only retailers, but also restaurants. And if you go to a restaurant, the mandated rules now, you have to have, you know, space in between all the tables. You see these horrible looking, you know, plexiglass 
domes or whatever around people. And it's just like, I don't want to go to a restaurant if that's going to be the case. So right. that I think is going to be a tough thing on restaurants and, and restaurants are going to have a, of a more of a difficult time reopening, you know, having 50% of business right now for a restaurant is fatal uh, because the margins are always historically very low. They, they got to stock food. They've got to have the employees. They've got to, you know, everybody's got to be there. And if it's not full, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. I, I'm, I know some restaurants um, in this area that are, are struggling. They, they've closed the streets. They've put tables outside. They're doing everything they possibly can, which I think is wonderful. But there's some big chains out there that I think are vulnerable, uh, like a Cheesecake Factory. I think that's going to be a tough one because uh, they have such a big, wide menu uh, that it's going to be tough for them to stock all the food for that. Maybe they'll, they'll pare down the menu for this period, but it's going to be hard. Yeah, it does not seem like an easy road ahead for anyone. Sure. Talking of reopening and getting people back in the store, we'll get you back in our store at our studio as soon as we reopen soon. Thanks for joining us from Connecticut. All right. Thanks. Take care. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.